The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Your brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Absurd Psychology, straight answers without all the bull. Your host is Dr. Gary Bell. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist, and he'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back to our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now, here's the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome, everybody. This is Dr. Gary Bell. This is Absurd Psychology. Today, today, what we're going to talk about is depression and anxiety, embracing your inner zombie. And uh, the reason I, I titled that is because everybody's depressed. Everybody's anxious at some points in their life. You know, the real question is, is how pervasive is it? How, how much has it taken over who you are? And depression does have its own personality. Anxiety has its own personality. And actually, both of them play on each other. So if you have one, you usually have the other. And uh, so bottom line is we want to talk about these issues and get them right in front of us today because a vast majority of our population has both anxiety and depression as a part of their life as a challenge. So let's take it on. Uh, there's a great paraphrase I have here from uh, Dave Barry. He says, the, the way to enter peace is to finish what you start. So what if it is a quart of ice cream, a cake, or a box of Twinkies? You know, there's six things you may not know about depression and anxiety. Anxiety makes everything stink. It expands your, your personal space. It decreases your sexual desire and testosterone production and makes you hypersensitive to people's faces being threatening. So bottom line is, if we want to live in paranoia and fear, be anxious and depressed. The average video gamer is 35, fat, depressed, and introverted. 58% of the people who take care of the elderly are clinically depressed. Some people just die from being around them so much. Depressed and anxious people dislike warm weather, sunlight, because it makes them too self-conscious and body conscious. And they are five times more likely to have sleep problems. And here's the other thing that's very interesting. Uh, uh, if you look at people that are uh, depressed, um, you look at people that are actually abused either emotionally or uh, physically, over 82% of those folks have a very pervasive form of depression. So, you know, that, that depression doesn't help them feeling trapped in their scenario. So let's talk about depression. A lot of people have a misconception about it. Uh, for instance, with children, depression is actually irritability. Irritability in children is depression. Um, they don't exactly do sadness as well on a consistent basis as we do because they don't have as many responsibilities. They feel powerless in their life and they show irritability as the sign of depression. A lot of people don't understand that. 
Now, also, between 60 to 80 percent of all forms of depression can be treated and stabilized to the point that a person can restore themselves to a normal life. It is one of the most treatable diagnoses that there is. And anxiety, once again, goes along with it. These are mainly thought disorders that we have genetic predispositions to. That means it runs in our family. However, our life, our environment, what we're surrounded by has affected us to the point that it is t- that, that genetic factor has taken a pervasive uh, life within us. Now, you know, what is depression? You know, it's, it is anger against yourself. It makes a person very self-consumed and hypersensitive to the world around them. They live in fear. They live in a sense that they are failing in some way, that they are out of control, that they don't know who they are, that they're lost. And, and, and it is like the want to fool the world from seeing them as a depressed person. And what they tend to do as a coping skill is deflect criticism and point out other people's problem, uh, problems. You'll, you'll notice that uh, people that are what are called high J's, very judgmental people, have a tendency to deflect looking at themselves by actually, you know, pointing at other people. And, you know, let's just be blunt and honest here. There's a vast majority of people who will pick people that are maybe not necessarily on the same uh, intellectual looks level, whatever, maybe, maybe how they operate in their life. People that, that pick, tend to pick partners that they can criticize easily because it makes them feel better about themselves. So a lot of depressed people will end up picking partners that are a little bit, have more problems or have more pervasive problems than they do. And they'd rather just spend their time criticizing them than actually take responsibility for themselves. Now, any treatment of any diagnosis of any kind in mental health requires a person to take responsibility for what they're doing and who they are and how they're operating. That, that includes, am I depressed? Well, if I believe I'm depressed, I need to, ta- I need to treat that. And do, am I overly anxious? Yes. If that's the case, I need to face that. I need to take responsibility and I need to treat it. Now, over 20 million people in the U.S. annually are, criti- are clinically depressed. Now, what is clinically depressed? Clinically depressed is people who actually, um, the depression has taken over. Maybe they can't get out of bed to go to work. Maybe they are so anxious they can't concentrate or they can't sleep. There, there's lots of way that de- ways that depression takes over how people can operate, lots of ways that anxiety can take over how persons operate. Action with amount, without emotional evaluation is the, remem- is the remedy of this. Now, here's the bottom line. If, if I'm going to be depressed and I want to resolve it, the fact is I need to stop analyzing everything emotionally. How do I feel about going to work while I'm laying here in bed? Well, I'd rather sleep for another five hours. How do I feel about you know, going on vacation to this certain place? How do I feel about meeting this person for lunch? Everything in depression and anxiety is analyzed through your feelings. The fact is you need to just go to lunch with your friend. You need to go to work. You need to take, you need to get in your car, go on vacation and just do it. And when you get there, then ask yourself how you feel. Stop analyzing everything through your feelings. We have about 5,000 to 10,000 emotions in a day. We have about a hundred thoughts, and of those thoughts, 
most of them are the same old crap you think about every other day. It's just the same old stuff. You're reevaluating and reevaluating. If you have a one original thought in a day, I would call you an absolute genius. Now, depression and anxiety are, are linked together. If you got one, you got the other. And, you know, the, the bottom line is, is that they both have one square root. And, and I don't know if you've ever read The Divine Comedy or it's called, you know, Dante's Inferno is, is an incredible old, old uh, poem written by uh, Dante. Uh, I believe it was back in the 1600s. But bottom line is he made seven layers of hell. There is one particular layer that it, when you analyze depression and anxiety, if you really understand where it comes from, it is what's called the state of limbo. And that, that for Dante was right outside the gates of hell. And that means that you're just in purgatory. You're just sitting there. There's nothing. There's, you're trapped in your life and there is no place to go. There is no good choices and you're just sitting there. And you're looking at other people, expecting them to help you, but they can't help you. And the problem is you can't make a decision. And that could be in one area of your life, like let's say changing a job or changing a relationship or making a big decision like a divorce or, or you know, breaking up with someone. Or it could be you know, just as simple as what to eat tonight. It can cause enormous anxiety and depression. People who are indecisive have a tendency to be depressed and anxious. And that's because they over-debate based on their emotions. And they sit in limbo and they stop making choices. And when they do that, they become dependent on other people. And oftentimes they become abused by other people. So the remedy is to take action. Take action and don't analyze it with your feelings. Just do it. If you know it's right, just do it. If you know you need to go back to school, stop analyzing it, stop looking at it, know that other people will adjust themselves to your life, and just get to it and go. And then see how you feel. And suddenly what's called your self-esteem will rise because you're doing good things for yourself. Now, depression itself is far overanalyze. There's far too many books, far too many theories, far too much garbage on on depression. Let me simplify it in some very basic terms because there's people that have put far too many words to this. And, and let me simplify it. If I want to be depressed, I am going to have lots of expectations that can't be met. I'm going to expect my seven-year-old daughter to come home and have her homework done immediately before I come home from work. I'm going to expect uh, my wife to have cleaned the house. I'm going to expect uh, myself to have plenty of money in my bank account. I'm going to expect everybody to behave properly today. I'm going to expect my day to be wonderful. These expectations are out of my control. And therefore, to have them, I have an emotional attachment to an expectation that is far too emotional. And so, if I eliminate expectations, and I'm not suggesting you shouldn't have expectations because people that are in things that are very exacting like science and law enforcement and fire, you have to have expectations because you de- your life depends on it. But in life conditions, just general life, we should not have these things. We need to convert all our warped and messed up expectations that are over-controlling and overbearing into preferences. 
I prefer. I'd prefer my daughter had her homework done. I prefer I had more, more money in the bank. I prefer, you know, that the day went better. I prefer a certain person would behave a certain way. I'd prefer all of the things that don't meet my expectations, I convert into a preference. Preferences have very, very, very few emotional attachments to them. They actually are in line with life. They accept the fact that we can't control everything and they don't allow whatever events that happen through our day to destroy our day. And so people that are depressed are fear-based and so they have a tendency to want to control everything and lay expectations before everybody. That's a very sad thing, but unfortunately, and this is once again, it, maybe you would say it's oversimplified, but if you want to look at the root of depression truthfully and having a peaceful life, those two elements are key. Those are absolutely key. There's another thing about depressed people. People can tell you're depressed just by your body language. They can tell, tell by your tone. They can tell by the way you talk, by the way you receive information. Uh, if you can't take a compliment, that tells people that you're down and out. And guess what? That makes you the target for a bully. And so people that are bullies look for squealers. They look for people that are squeaky toys, just like a dog. If a dog has a squeaky toy, it's going to chew, 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 let the thing squeak, squeak, squeak until it rips the squeaker out and basically destroys a toy. The one that's quiet is going to sit in the corner and probably never be touched again. So the bottom line is you don't want to be the squeaky toy in life. So people that are depressed and anxious you need to stop being so oversensitive and reactive to jerks. You need to stop listening to people and taking every word they have to say seriously because a lot of time they're just baiting you to see how depressed you are and how much they can make you look stupid by reacting to them. Because obviously if I pick on you and then you turn into a crazy person and you start to nut up, I'm not going to look as crazy as you are and that's going to make me the bully feel better. So, you know, depressed and anxious people are often targets of people who are insecure with themselves and they much rather make you look stupid than them. If you want to make them look stupid, just shut up and don't say anything and move on and tell them how sad you are for them. And basically your life will go on. So, when we feel our lives are out of control, we nut up. And that's limbo, being trapped. So once again, we have to focus our life on decisions. If I am focused on I want to change my job, I need to seriously start looking for a job in the area that I want to be in. And I need to accept the fact that it may not meet all my financial criteria and I need to adapt my life to that choice. I need to bring my life to where I'm interested, to where I am today. And we have to have the courage to do that. You know, bottom line is make decisions and make and fail. You know, Edison failed over 2,842 times when he invented the light bulb. But the bottom line is we have the light bulb and guess what? It's changed the course of human existence. It's gigantic. And, and, you know, uh, I, the bottom line is there is we wouldn't have science without people not being afraid to fail. Failure is a necessity in life and we cannot be afraid of it. A lot of people are afraid to make decisions because they're afraid to fail. Failure itself is an opportunity to learn. It's a great opportunity to learn. Parenting itself is one series of failure after another. And the bottom line is, as a parent, 
you've got to accept the fact that if you're going to be a parent, got, your job is to be as good enough as you possibly can be and just accept it for that. Because that's all you can do. You cannot be perfect. And so, once again, you know, the need to control is something we need to let go. Now, when I say that depression and anxiety are linked, you're either anxious and you're depressed because you're so anxious you cannot feel like you control your life. There's too much anxiety. There's too much can't sleep. Can't, you know, you're overthinking everything. And by the way, time that is unspent, time that is that is that we are not occupied, time that we're not doing anything is the human being's worst possible enemy. And so, you know, if we want to overcome the sense of depression, and anxiety, we need to once again take action. Now, coming back to this, some people are depressed and they're anxious because they're depressed. So, they're laying in bed and they're anxious because they know that they'll probably lose their job if they just keep it up or they'll, get, they'll, they'll, they'll fail in school. They won't accomplish their goals and that's because the depression is too strong and it has taken over their life and they're just laying there and they're anxious because they know it's not the right thing to do. And so, once again, this depression tends to spiral down. And we'll, we'll talk about things like medication and all that kind of stuff and the dopamine and the serotonin and all that stuff in just a little bit. But what is most important is we stop analyzing how we feel and start focusing on what we think. What you think is who you are, not what you feel. Your feelings can only can last about three minutes. If I'm going to be sad, it's only going to last about three minutes unless I try to figure out why I'm so sad. Then I'm going to add another three minutes. It's like a wave that turns into a tidal wave. Feelings, if you analyze them, will gain momentum and become a tidal wave. And we don't want that in our life. We don't want to become what's called a brainstem. And the reason I say brainstem is because most of our our thought process is way back there, way back there towards the brainstem. That, that, that's where your fight or flight is. And that's where depression lives. And so we need more dopamine and serotonin to get to that free frontal, free, uh, sorry, <laughs> the prefrontal cortex, which is right up in the very front part of our brain. We need more highways. And to get that, we need dopamine and serotonin. And dopamine is like if I had glue under my feet, and it glues down the grass, and I'm walking a, a flat trail of grass. And then serotonin is like the hikers walking across. So the more dopamine and serotonin we have, the more we build what are called highways to the prefrontal cortex, which is where logic is. Logic is what turns us into human beings and gives us control of our lives. So we're going to take a break. I hope this helps. And we'll come back and we'll talk about medication. <laughs> It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Dr. Gary Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist in Southern California, but he is here to help you no matter where you are. Visit drgbmft.com. You can schedule an appointment with Dr. Bell, and many major health insurance plans are accepted. Call or text Dr. Bell today at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com. Dr. Bell could help you take back your life in four to eight carefully constructed sessions. 
Stop coping and start living in the now. Call 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. Do you like what you're hearing on the show today? Dr. Gary Bell wants to help you no matter where you are. He's fast, efficient, effective, and has a no-bull approach to helping you in less than 10 sessions. If you're ready to change right now, drop everything and call or text Dr. Bell at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. You can also follow Dr. Bell on Twitter at drgbmft for some great insight and direction. Are you ready? Make that change. Pick up the phone or go to the site, 951-818-7856 or drgbmft.com. Remember, drgbmft.com. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Build your better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. You are tuned in to Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary Bell or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it'll take some thinking. So, got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on the Email Host button on the Voice America page. Now, back to Absurd Psychology. Welcome back. All right, so now we talked about the, the thought disorder operating within depression and anxiety, and that's expectations and converting those into, into preferences. That's, that's the thought process that is all jacked up when it comes to depression. But the other problem is, is that people will not do the things that it takes to increase their dopamine and serotonin levels that their brain already manufactures. Now, once again, dopamine creates a trail by sticking down, let's say, the field of grass. It sticks down the grass when you walk across it. Once again, the vehicle is the hiker walking across. And the more hikers we have and the more glue we have under their shoes, the greater the trail becomes what's called a superhighway. And that's what we want to have. If we can increase those levels of dopamine and serotonin, we can overcome the genetic predisposition to depression and anxiety. And that is gigantic. That is gigantic. Now here, oh, there's so many people out there that are all freaked out about uh, medication. But the problem is that they don't understand that the medication is what's called supplemental. If you, if you take a vitamin, you can take an antidepressant because it's supplemental. Your brain already manufactures it. You know, there are side effects. That's because your brain's not used to the dopamine and serotonin levels that come from the medication. So they don't generally last that long unless they're absolutely the wrong medication. Once again, some people are more depressed than they are anxious. Some people are more anxious than they are depressed. 
So the medications have to be geared towards the type of depression that you have. Oftentimes, psychiatrists and doctors don't know how to draw that balance because they don't do enough analyzation to understand what type of depression you really have. They just go with what they're used to. People take it and they go, oh my God, it was the wrong thing and I don't want to ever take it again. But We'll talk about medication in just a second. Let's talk about a natural, normal remedy to depression and anxiety, and that is called cardiovascular exercise. And unfortunately, a lot of people who are depressed will not exercise, and that's because they don't feel like it. And so, you know, the sad truth is, is that since they don't feel like it, they cannot do a daily program, and I'm not talking every three days, every four days, every five days. I'm talking about every day. If you want to tackle depression on your own and you're that stubborn and you're that obstinate about it, if you want to have 60% of a mild antidepressant, get off your butt, get out the door, and do 20 minutes of cardio. I'm talking about 15 beats a a minute above your average heartbeat. 15 to 20 beats a minute, do not stop, go 20 minutes, and you will have 60% of a mild antidepressant. That means your dopamine and serotonin levels will increase significantly. Um, Bottom line is, if you do it every day and you add it up to 30 or go up to 40, you're going to double the amount that you're producing and you will only help the depression. A lot of people think exercise is meant just for the body. The brain gets the most benefit from cardiovascular exercise. The brain. The brain is a muscle. It has over 30% of your blood supply. It needs exercise. It needs to work that muscle. And it's so important if we do that, we're going to be utilizing much more of our brain. You'll notice that people are top performers in in corporations and their careers and passionate about their lives tend to integrate exercise into their life because it creates self-discipline. They start believing in themselves. They start being consistent. They've changed a habit. They've actually taken control of something they didn't control. And they're increasing their brain's capacity to take information and prevent depression and anxiety. They have to have clear thoughts. Exercise is key to that. Now, how an antidepressant works. Let's say you begin with the lowest dose of an antidepressant, 10, 20 milligrams of, of let's say, Cymbalta, Pristique, uh, something like that. Effexor comes, at, I think it starts at like uh, 60 or 70 milligrams, 60 to 80, something like that. Bottom line is you start with the very lowest dose. And what happens is your brain receives a huge level of dopamine and serotonin. And it's all of a sudden going, wow, I'm relaxed. I'm, I, I feel like I have control of my life. I'm, I'm feeling it. I've never felt this way. I haven't felt this way in a long time. And it's huge because with antidepressants today, and I'm not talking about Prozac and Paxil that take like three months before you ever begin to feel anything. The, the, the newer medications today basically will bring your brain forward into the place where you should be, where your brain should be operating. Once again, there are sometimes side effects because your brain's not used to that delivery and all of a sudden it's developing new superhighways. It's all of a sudden getting new neurological transmission going through parts of your brain that aren't used to it. So the deal is, is we maintain that. And if you can integrate exercise into taking the antidepressant and then Take on the thought disorder, which is the depression of 
expectations and preferences. If you can go on, let's say go to therapy, take on the thought disorder. You're going to take down this battle. Depression is going to wane. Anxiety is going to wane. And suddenly you're going to have more control of your life and feel better about yourself than you have in a long time. And you'd be surprised about people that come out of the clouds so fast when they take on depression immediately with a medication. The medication itself is something you should take over a long period of time. And here's why. We need a new baseline because your brain is used to producing very, very small amounts of serotonin and dopamine. It's spiraled down over a period of time to very low delivery. If we now have a good, strong delivery, the brain gets used to that. It's going, wow, I like this. Okay, this is cool. And sometimes you have to up the medication. Sometimes your body metabolizes it. It's not as effective after a week or two, and you need to up it. That's fine. Get it to the level where you feel like yourself. Then what happens after that is if you decide to go off the medication, never take yourself immediately off an antidepressant or an anti-anxiety medication. You slowly taper off because what you're doing is training your brain to make up the difference for what you're taking away. So if I'm going to get off an antidepressant, I'm going to take about a six to eight week period and I'm going to cut the medication rate down maybe a fourth a week, maybe a third, maybe not a third, but excuse me, maybe an eighth a week. And basically, by doing that, the brain has a chance to know where it's supposed to make, and it will make up the difference. But if you drop yourself off an antidepressant, people oftentimes go psychotic because when they've gone off, they basically go back to the level of production that their brain was used to because you haven't trained it to make the difference up. So that's kind of how medication works. I hope that's not too much information. I hope I'm as clear as I possibly can. But Here's the other thing. 30% of all depressed or anxious people have a substance abuse problem. And, you know, the deal is that is not just people that are clinically depressed. That is 30% of our population have either some addiction to alcohol or uh, drugs or some type of substance that helps them through their day. It may even be diet pills, which are uppers. Um, you know, they, they basically increase, uh, they have a lot of caffeine in them sometimes. So bottom line is, you know, let's get smart. Let's do it right. Let's do it supervised and let's be safe about it and fix that depression. Fix the thought disorder, fix the genetics. Let's look at anxiety. Now, here's the one thing a lot of people do not understand. Much of anxiety is caused by the brain needing more oxygen and the deal is your soft organs, your, your, your stomach, your, your lungs, your heart, your kidney, liver, all of those have heavy, heavy blood supplies. But the brain runs a show. So if the brain says, hey, there is not enough oxygen in the blood, so I'm going to take all the blood out of your stomach. I'm going to take as much, much of the oxygen out of the blood in your lungs. I'm going to take as much oxygen out of the heart. All of a sudden, the stomach starts to hurt, the lungs aren't operating or short of breath, the heart gets heart palpitations, kidney, liver aren't functioning properly. And that's because with anxiety, we tend to breathe through our nose. And now I know I said earlier that we only breathe through one nostril at a time. And, and so what happens every four hours, our nose flips back and forth. So that's a straw's worth of oxygen. People that are anxious clench their teeth. They clench their teeth and they shut down the brain's ability to gain oxygen. 
There's only 21% oxygen in air. There's 89% oxygen in water. So when people are anxious, the best possible thing they can do is restore their oxygen levels. This is not psychology. This is just pure human biology. Drink water. Drink water and drink from an aerated bottle that actually has the little aerator at the top, the sports bottle. So it can actually activate the oxygen going into your body so the brain gets it even faster and we restore the muscles operation and then all of our organs will relax. A lot of people that are depressed have a tendency to be anxious so they once again clench their teeth, lack anxiety, are not able to sleep, their brain's not functioning properly. And that is simply a problem with oxygen. And, you know, oxygen is huge. Oxygen is what makes the sun explode. That's how our organs actually do their work. They need oxygen to function. And when you take it away, which is what the brain will do, because it commands everybody else. It says, I need it more than you do. If I'm going to run the show, I need the oxygen. Then everybody else loses it. So if we want to contribute to higher anxiety, and start analyzing how we're feeling and why we're feeling and why we're having what are called somatic pains in our heart and our lungs and our stomach. That's because we're anxious and we're not delivering oxygen. The other thing is um, anxiety to calm down. A lot of people will just focus on the anxiety. If you want to calm down, the best thing you can do is focus on an alternative stimulation. Don't focus on the stimulation that is causing you the most anxiety. If I'm anxious because I've got to do something I don't want to do, then what I need to is focus on a different stimulation like music or smell or touch or tone or vision, any, anything. You know, don't Focus your energy on the thing you can't control. Focus your energy on something that soothes you, something that does give you a sense of control. Activates your brain and your imagination. A lot of people, when they have children that are screaming and throwing temper tantrums, will just try to sit there and talk them out of it. That's about the dumbest thing you could possibly do. You know, if you want to calm them down, turn the television on to their favorite show create an alternative stimulation like cooking cookies. You know, we're going to go do this. You want to do this with us? And let them calm down and join you. Then they will learn to control their emotions. Anxiety is something you can't focus on what's causing you the anxiety. You have to alternate the stimulation. Breathing always helps. Obviously, you get more oxygen when you're breathing. Water would help even more. There's another thing that we all need to understand, and that is... There is a death gene that is caused by stress. There's 32 common genes. I don't know if many of you have studied the Genome Project, the breakdown of the human genes. We all share 32 common genes, but there's one gene. There's one gene that actually controls our exit strategy in this life, and it's all based on stress. People do have a tipping point of stress that when they reach it, that gene turns on, and if your exit strategy is something called cancer or heart disease or diabetes or any of those diseases that some of us have predispositions, if not all of us have predispositions to, if that gene, once it's activated, once it's decided I've had enough of this life, that gene will activate and activate that disorder, that disease that will kill you. So stress is the, 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 the thing that actually ignites our exit strategy in this life, that gene. If you want to turn it on, mess with it. Get it, live a stressful life and don't 
have any other coping skills to deal with it. Just live in stress, live in depression, and don't take it on. You will die young. You will die young because the disorders will take over. They'll be active, and that's why things like cancer, diabetes, they never stop. They will continue coming at you for your whole life if you choose to live in that. That's why you have to take on these challenges as if they are real. Just because they're intangible, just because you can't see them, doesn't mean they're not real. They're very real, and they're very powerful. Now listen, a lot of people will walk around and tell you how you make them feel. And depressed people will take that and they'll go, oh my God, I made you feel this way. And they, they feel guilty. They feel bad. They feel like a failure. The truth is nobody, you make nobody feel anything. They do that all on their own. If anybody tells you, you make me feel, tell them, you don't, I don't make you feel crap. You decided to do that all on your own. People need to take accountability for their own feelings and their own choices. People that are depressed and anxious tend to project their feelings on other people. You make me feel. That's because they're so sensitive. Well, shut the hell up. You need to take responsibility for your own feelings. Your own feelings. Stop telling people they make you feel. They don't have that control. You do. You know, change is life. So we have to accept. We have to adapt and find our place in change. Life will always change. That is the beautiful thing about it. Our job is to adapt to change and influence change. And if you don't accept and adapt to change, you're dead already. People are afraid of change. Don't be afraid of change. Change is good. Change makes you grow. It is a beautiful thing. And you need to embrace it in faith that it's going to take you to another place that's even better. You know, Anxious people tend to also be whiners. And by being whiners, they're reinforcing their anxiety because they're feeling powerless. And, you know, quite frankly, I don't know if you've been around whiners very much, but I've been around a lot of whiners in my life. And they will literally, if you sit there and buy their crap, they will literally suck the soul straight out of your body if you're exposed to them too long. You know, they, life has to throw itself on the hood of their car and beg them to do something for them to actually find a reason to do it. And that's a fear-based life. And anxiety is caused by a fear-based life. And that is the thought disorder, that they're afraid of change and they don't, they have a thousand reasons not to do anything and not just have faith to take action and take a chance. Now, what is the solution? What do you want to do about it? Do you, you know, these are the questions that you ask yourself. What is a solution to change? What am I going to do to make change? Do I really understand the intention of why a decision has been made or am I just guessing? You know, most decisions are made for a greater good. A lot of times they are not always just considerate of us. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about bipolar. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Do you like what you're hearing on the show today? Dr. Gary Bell wants to help you no matter where you are. He's fast, efficient, effective, and has a no-bull approach to helping you in less than 10 sessions. If you're ready to change right now, drop everything and call or text Dr. Bell at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. You can also follow Dr. Bell on Twitter at drgbmft for some great insight and direction. Are you ready? 
Make that change. Pick up the phone or go to the site, 951-818-7856 or drgbmft.com. Remember, drgbmft.com. Dr. Gary Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist in Southern California, but he is here to help you no matter where you are. Visit drgbmft.com. You can schedule an appointment with Dr. Bell, and many major health insurance plans are accepted. Call or text Dr. Bell today at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com. Dr. Bell could help you take back your life in four to eight carefully constructed sessions. Stop coping and start living in the now. Call 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary Bell or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough. But if you want to send an email, it'll take some thinking. So, got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on the Email Host button on the Voice America page. Now, back to Absurd Psychology. Welcome back. We're talking about bipolar. And I'm sure a lot of you have interacted with bipolar people in your life. Maybe you didn't know they were bipolar, but... You may after this show. So (laughs) the deal with bipolar is it is a serious shift in mood, energy, thinking, behavior, from the highs of craziness to the lows of helplessness. Bipolar is called bipolar because it's like North Pole, South Pole. There's no in-between for these folks. They're either hypermanic up into the stars, you know, living the high life. Uh, Bipolar 1 is the kind of person that just can't even work. They're They're so... it, caught up in the bipolar world, they they you know they have huge amounts of credit card debt very often. They they can feel rested after like two hours if they're in a high manic state, meaning they're real happy. They can actually just keep on going. Some of them can go two, three, four days and never sleep, uh, and when they're in a manic state, uh, they they tend to have very few boundaries. They have lots of sex with anyone or anything. They go on drinking and drug binges oftentimes, or hurt themselves gambling. Uh, doing, you know, crazy things. And during their depressive episode, they tend to disappear. They tend to be, where are you? Where are you at? I haven't heard from you in so long. Well, that's because they've probably been laying in bed for the past week or two and uh, really not feeling like talking to anybody. They're all holed up in their room. And then all of a sudden, they'll explode, go into another high manic state. Next thing you know, they're in Las Vegas spending thousands of dollars. And so, you know, bipolar is a crazy, crazy disorder. It's based on a a problem called rapid cycling. Rapid cycling means they go from high to low, high to low. There is no flat line. And if there is, that's a state of bliss that they they truly enjoy. Unfortunately, we tend to think that they're better during those periods because sometimes there are those flat periods where they're not hyper crazy and hyper sad. And we tend to think, oh, they're all better, but they're not. They go right back into mania. And it can last for hours, days, weeks, months, and uh, the shifts are so intense 
They, in, they interfere with everything, their ability to interact, their ability to function, their ability to go to school, their ability to work. Um, it just takes over who there are, and they have a hard time taking accountability for what and how they've done things and why they violated other people. Now, bipolar 2 is a little bit different. It, it is like more like uh, living in northern South America and uh, the upper part of Canada or maybe mid-Canada. It's, it's not quite to the poles. It is people that are actually functional. These people uh, tend to have, you know, are able to have a family. They're able to hold a job, not always steadily. Oftentimes, they'll, they'll job hop. Uh, grass is always greener on the other side with these people. They're very uh, critical. They tend to be very unpredictable, you know, as far as their moods are concerned. Most places they work are, are like a circus, and all the relationships at home are like a circus, and everybody is just waiting for the bomb to drop, for them to go crazy. Oh, boy, they're in the bad mood. Here we are. Now we're going to have to deal with this for a week, and they're going to blame everybody else on it instead of themselves. Um, they tend to play the victim because they're not quite as aware of their disorder. They're, you know, just like bipolar 1, they think that what they are is normal, well-intended people. Unfortunately, a lot of these folks don't take accountability for the fact that they're bipolar. They haven't even gotten diagnosed. They haven't gone to a clinical psychologist who does testing to show them, hey, man, you may be causing a lot of ruckus in your life that you're blaming a lot of other people for. Um, they tend to use they statements and you did this to me. And, uh, you know, the, hearing them say I statements is usually after they've done all the damage. I'm responsible. I'm sorry I did this. But then they tend to go right back into that pattern. Now, here's the deal about bipolar. It has to be medicated. I'm sorry. They have to have, if they're going to live a normal life and not be the bomb that drops into the middle of everyone's life, I'm serious. They need to be able to go to a psychiatrist and get medication. One of the medications most of them use is called a mood stabilizer, and the secondary one is an antidepressant. Those two are key, and sometimes there's others that they need to have. But those medications are key to getting the, the bipolar person to steady out and to live a more productive life. If bipolar 2 people, bipolar 2 meaning the more functional bipolar, you know, nobody's happy if, happy if mom isn't happy, that's the bipolar <laughs> that comes from bipolar mama. <laughs> Not that there isn't bipolar data because there is. There's a lot of those too. But the deal is, is that if they manage that, if they manage that mood disorder, they tend to have a much more productive life and feel much better. Not that the symptoms don't cycle in and take place and that they don't go into some kind of mania of craziness. You know, let, I'm having so much fun, I just can't stop. Or the sense of, I'm just so depressed, I don't even want to get out of bed. Um, Anyway, the bottom line is, we need to be supportive of these people in our lives. That means that if they seek treatment, we don't leave them alone. Because bipolar people cannot get outside of themselves to see how bad that they are functioning. They need to have support of their family, of friends, of people who see them all the time. These people need to be their gauge to help them understand how well their medication's working, how well they're managing their bipolar. 
they have to have that temperature taken to be able to function better. So when a person is taking seriously treating bipolar, they also have to enlist other people to help them gauge it because once again, they cannot take their own temperature. It's just too difficult. You know, they all want the same thing. They want love and acceptance, but they don't see that they're acting like a victim. They don't see that they're, you know, they don't see while they're doing the manic behavior that is destructive. They think they're well-intended. They don't realize how selfish they're being because they're just caught up in their own little world. They're obsessed with what they want to do. If they're obsessed about going out and getting drunk, that's what they're going to do. If they're obsessed about sex, that's what they're going to do. If they're obsessed about gambling, that's what they're going to do. And they tend to, if they're obsessed about sleeping, that's what they're, what they're going to do. And so the deal is we need to help them gauge that. And, you know, exercise does help. But once again, this is a lifelong disorder and it must be treated with help of a um, psychologist to help them from the counseling perspective. And they can help them, help them gauge themselves. Family and medication, huge. Now, what is mania? Mania... Uh, from the optimist perspective is like grandiose beliefs. Like they think they're much more than what they are. They usually talk very rapidly. They sleep very little. They have racing thoughts from one topic to another. There's a lot of impulsiveness, impaired judgment, recklessness, and delusions and hallucinations in severe cases. Depressed manics tend to be irritable all the time, physically and mentally sluggish. They either have appetite or weight changes, sleep problems, concentration, memory problems, sometimes thoughts of death and suicide in severe cases, and an inability to experience, uh, to experience pleasure. That's when they're in the depressed manic state. So, once again, it's acceptance. It's acceptance of the disorder and taking a serious step towards getting serious treatment. Now, here's some things that people can do to help themselves. Get educated between your real self and what you're like when your symptoms of mania have taken place. Educate your family about what you've noticed about yourself. Get their input and let them help you. Write these things down. You need to keep your stress in check because stress is a big, big trigger for mania. If their life is stressful, let's say they get, all of a sudden get into a financial bind where they've spent a whole lot of money and then the checks and then the bills start coming in. Oh my gosh, then the stress will throw them into another manic state where they won't even take accountability for the money that they've spent. The other thing is seek support from people who understand other bipolar people can help you if they are responsible for being bipolar. Make healthy choices and that includes food. Have rituals and diets that you follow that are good for you. Sleep deprivation is the biggest trigger of mania. Seasonal changes is one, substance abuse and, and high stress. But sleep deprivation, if you can't sleep, if you don't take that on and get to your medical doctor and try to figure out how to get to sleep, you can have some big, big, big problems. Now, I will tell you a simple thing about going to sleep. Sleeping means that I am going to be willing to lay there with no stimulation going on whatsoever I'm not going to think any other thoughts, but how am I breathing? The function of breathing through my mouth, how am I breathing? If I breathe and focus on how I'm breathing for three minutes, the average person, just like a computer screen, will go down, their brain will go dormant, and they will go to sleep. 
if you make it how am I breathing as the function and the only thought you have. If you start thinking about your day, if you start thinking about problems, you're not going to get to sleep very quickly. Also, therapy can help because the therapist is an expert and they can also supervise medication. Um, You know, after enough exposure to a bipolar uh, client, you know, a therapist can help. They can monitor the moods and help them with steadying out their medications, their behaviors and relationships. Obviously, a therapist can't or, or a psychologist can't prescribe, but what they can do is make recommendations and have a good interaction with your psychiatrist. They can play a key role. Also, communication skills become an automatic part of your vocabulary to assist assist in keeping your relationship stable. Word choices when you're angry. Expectation, once again, is a horrible thing, especially for a bipolar. Convert it to prefer. If you're manic, beautiful, instead of beautiful, you know, like a manic person who goes, oh, you look so beautiful, and they're so dramatic, just say you look nice. You know, they, they tend to overstate things. And by keeping your words a little more conservative, you're managing the bipolar. Okay, here's some, here's some funny things. Here's some fun stuff. So, questions to ask yourself. And this is the overall study of depression and anxiety. If ghosts could walk through walls and glide downstairs, why don't they fall through the ceiling? <laughs> Wouldn't it make more sense to differentiate depressed people by a negative blood type? When two men get married, do they go to the same bachelor party? Should atheists get paid by insurance companies for an act of God? And whoever thought of the phrase, sleeps like a baby? I have a three, four-month-old. He wakes up every two hours and grunts and groans and poops in between. <laughs> so, <laughs> so here's some stuff we're going to discuss. Next week is going to be an exciting and complicated show And I've got some really heavy stuff, really good questions that I'm asking that many people would want to ask a great pastor. And we're so fortunate to have Pastor Chuck Boer, who's the author of Great and Mighty Things, and he's the senior pastor of Crossroads Christian Church, which is one of the fastest growing churches in the world here in Corona, California, our beautiful mega city, beautiful city of Corona, and that's that's where I live. The next is we're going to be talking about parenting, like herding squirrels. Divorce and step-parenting, the joy of thankless living. And if anybody's been a uh, step-parent, you'll understand what I mean by thankless living. Sex and relationships, how to keep it up. Childhood issues, Prozac moments, personality disorders. Can't you find a UFO to haul your ass back home? And suicide, death, and grieving, the art of living miserably. Crisis intervention, wellness, organizational psychology, much, much more. We're going to have Dr. Nancy Bull, Dr. Wayne McAfee will be my special guests on a few of those shows. That's our show today. I hope that I've helped you and and covered a lot of ground because, honestly, we really do need to grab on to depression and anxiety in our life and manage it because there are times that we're fine. There's a lot of times we're doing fine, but there's sometimes we need to be aware that we're just not who we are. And if you don't feel like who you are, there's a good chance you are either anxious or depressed or both. If you feel like you lack character or not happy with your life, uh, that probably has to do with the sense that you are what it's called a procrastinator. You tend to do everything when you feel like it. So we need to get over that. We need to move on. So I'd love to hear 
from every one of you and get your feedback. DRGBMFT at SBCGlobal.net or Twitter at DRGBMFT. I want to thank you for listening. And please remember, before you diagnose yourself with depression or low self-esteem, first make sure you're not, in fact, just surrounded by assholes. And that comes from author William Gibson. Thanks for listening. That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Monday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.